Here's the big question this show answers. How do we leverage technology and human science to positively impact our personal and professional life? The tech human experience has the answer. Here's your host, Inc. 5000 tech founder, neuroscience junkie, and Navy SEAL wannabe, Javier Guerra. Hello, my fellow tech humans. Today's guest is the Chief Information Security Officer of Frost Bank. He focuses on IT security and cyber risk management. Through his career, he has guided companies through security breaches, risk transformations, and complete security rebuilds, all while embracing next-gen security frameworks. He is not only a leader in his field, but also an avid wine enthusiast and a strong believer in knowledge sharing and leadership collaboration. Please welcome Eddie Contreras. Thanks for having me, Javier. Yeah, always great talking with you. You know, to get started, here's an important stat uh, that I'd like to talk about. Cybersecurity Ventures predicts that the global cost of cybercrime will reach $10.5 trillion annually by the year 2025. Eddie, how does this impact your approach to security in your organization, particularly as you transition more services to the cloud? You know, it's an, it's an eye-opening stat, and you have to really think about the inaction. Is it as valuable or invaluable as uh, the actions you're taking? Uh, it, it really changes the conversation in the boardroom on how you're investing uh, in security uh, and how you're part of that stat or you're, you're not part of that stat. That's a, it's a huge number. Oh yeah. You definitely do not want to be part of that stat. <laughs> Something you don't want to contribute to for sure. So in today's topic is demystifying technology and security in a cloud driven world. In this episode, we'll discuss Eddie's cloud smart strategy and the challenges of transitioning to the cloud while also touching on the potential of AI in regulated financial institutions. So Eddie, again, you know, thank you for being here. In your opinion, you know, or in, in you know, your practice, your career, how do you ensure that your organization remains agile and adaptable to the rapidly changing landscape of technology and security? You know, one of the things that I focus on and, and really understanding where my messaging is landing uh, and what my audience is about. I think technology can be confusing. Uh, it can be a, a field that people stray away from because they just don't understand it. And so when you think about cloud migration, when you think about artificial intelligence and machine learning, the phrases in themselves, they're, they're overpowering to some people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, it's not me making the boardrooms. It's not a conversation that other executives are having. A lot of executives focus on revenue. Uh, they focus on business performance, uh, NPS scores. Uh, they're focusing on things that have nothing to do with what we just talked about. Yet mm -hmm. what we just talked about and what you said, that phrase, is instrumental in delivering all those things. Uh, and so the way you bring that conversation into the boardroom, the way you have that conversation with other executives is you do have to demystify it. You have to normalize technology in a manner uh, that others want to embrace it, uh, whether or not they even know they're talking about artificial intelligence, whether they know 
cloud as a part of the equation. And I think that's one of the roles of the evolving CISO is uh, you're no longer a technologist. You're a business executive. Uh, you have to have that business acumen uh, and you have to understand when decisions are made and how they're made. And, and if they're not made on technology phrases and if they're not made on, uh, you know, the, the evolution of technology, then that's probably not part of the conversation or it is, it's just not up in front, right? It's not the conversation that you're just out there saying, let's talk AI or let's talk cloud. Yeah. You know, it makes me think about marketing, you know, and it's in a, from marketing perspective, the part of the strategy is you communicate things like you're talking to a fifth grader and you need to simplify things right into just regular terms. So that's easily digestible. And, you know, I think that's really important in when you're talking to the executive board, because of course, you know, they're not going to be as techie as you are, but also it makes me think about, you know, if you go back over time, you know, it's debatable on how much time, but you know, the CIO has, has kind of evolved or, or been elevated to like more of the right hand man's of the CEO. Right. And I, and I've seen the CISO doing that as well because security is so critical and you know the threats are not going away and they're they're getting bigger and and becoming more sophisticated so to speak any any thoughts on that it's it's really astute when you talk like that right it's 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 keen to pick up on that it, um, in my career as a CISO, i've reported to the chief risk officer to general mm -hmm. counsel uh and, and so forth right i haven't reported into operations that's not the area that i've typically reported to for that very specific reason, Javier, if you think about that is, are we having a risk conversation at the business level versus a, a technology conversation at the operational level? And, and they, they are yeah. two different types of conversations. And so, you know, I find that the conversations that I'm a part of, uh, the decisions that I help influence, a lot of times the conversations that I'm having are about risks that are impacting or, you know, exposing the business versus the technology capabilities and the benefits from those technology deliveries. So yeah, I, I would agree with you, Javier, is that it really does matter where you sit. Uh, and it also under, it matters why you're in the conversation. If you don't understand why you're in that conversation, then uh, there's a lot of self-reflecting that probably has to occur. Yeah, it, it's, it's so critical now. And, it, and it's, um, yeah, actually, we'll, I'll wait until, you know, some other stuff that we'll probably get into talk, so before I get into like soft skills of people. Right. But, Absolutely. but, uh, but he just totally made me think of that. So, so Eddie, what, what are some of the most significant trends you see in cloud computing and AI that will shape the future of security and technology in the coming years? Well, I think AI has been around for a long time. I, I, I believe there was a, a graph when chat GPT came out. I believe it's been around since the late 50s, early 60s AI. Mm -hmm. So it's not a new concept. It's not a, a new uh, industry or even like an emerging, uh, you know, uh, concept. Uh, what it is, is, is it's artificial intelligence. And to at what level uh, is it or how beneficial, I think, is really the, uh, the litmus test of success here. Uh, so mm -hmm. when I look at companies that say we can bring artificial intelligence to this product offering, I look at it as what's the business outcome? You know, can we make a decision quicker? Uh, I'll give you a, a, a really good use case. If you're calling into a company and your first interaction with that company is to a customer representative, somebody picking up the phone to help 
better your experience with, you know, the company you're calling, would it be beneficial if that person had insights, intellect, uh, and some type of awareness of why you're calling before they actually pick up the phone? All of that is built on AI. Uh, and so when you're talking about business outcomes, as opposed to thinking about, uh, you know, the robots that will take over the world or, uh, you know, we're going to outsource all of our internal, you know, FTE capacity to this AI, uh, you know, uh, platform. The yeah. reality yeah. is AI actually should improve that, that interaction. It should uh, eliminate some of the risk of the conversation and you should be able to get to an outcome much quicker. Now, my role as a CISO is to make sure that as that technology arrives, it does so in a manner that eliminates bias. Uh, it looks for whether or not uh, that intelligence or that platform is introducing risk. Uh, and mm -hmm. it gets information securely to its intended recipient to be able to provide the business objectives that we, what the goal was. So again, when you're thinking about AI into the organization, it really needs to focus on the business deliverables and expectations as opposed to the technology itself. You'll always get, have that technology conversation, but uh, at the business side first, you talk about those business outcomes. I love that. And I love that how you talked about the, 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 uh, the bias, right? Because that's, that's something that I've seen for a very long time. And that's a huge issue, not only within myself, but when, within people in general, it's very hard for us to see our own bias, right? I mean, we're programmed in a certain way, we operate in a certain way. And it, it's very hard to see within ourselves that what is that bias and how we're making decisions. And that's, you know, why I believe in leveraging coaches and consultants and counselors like you know till they're coming out of my ears but ultimately that's that's really what what we, we like to focus on is really mitigating that risk of that bias by leveraging diff different data science tools and different things like that to intelligently build teams and then intelligently involve them into the future because it's it's you know technology is evolving at such a rapid pace and all this ai is coming out of but if we're coming out of so fast but if we we're ready for it and we use it strategically and kind of automate and, and streamline things by leveraging it so that, like you said, we can focus on our more strategic objectives and, and really bring that human touch to the end client, bring that more of that human touch to our teammates and to, you know, whoever we're, whoever's in our circle of influence, so to speak. So I, I love that for sure. And, and I'll add on, you know, and, and maybe give a really good analogy here mm -hmm. is back in the eighties when, you know, when, when you and I were going to school or in the nineties, the calculator was supposed to make every student, you know, for the, the, the lack of a, of a, <laughs> of good word here, you know, it, it was going to yeah. uh, essentially simplify the student and, and maybe even hamper their ability to excel. It was a calculator. Uh, and, and the yeah. reality is the calculator, it got you to the final destination a little bit quicker, but you still mm -hmm. have to understand the concept and how to use it. And AI is the same way. You know, it's not going to be outsourcing all of our, our roles. Uh, it's just another tool that's going to help us get to a decision that much quicker, hopefully eliminating uh, some of the risk. And so if you really know how to interact with AI, if you really truly understand the value that it's bringing, just like the calculator, it's just going to put you into a new uh, level of, of supremacy around does this person truly know what they're doing in mathematics as, a composed, as opposed to what do they know around technology? AI is going to make us better. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see how this is all going to play out for sure. It's just moving so fast. You know, I saw a, uh, a chart the other day of just the exponential adoption of technologies, right? And I think Instagram before this was the, was the fastest adoption, but um, 
I mean, chat GPT is just straight to the roof and, and, you know, in official terms, right? Chat GPT is more of a large language model, right? Um, depending on what your definition of AI is, but, but, uh, the adoption was just exponentially like straight up. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's really interesting. Gartner, I think, labels it as uh, a, a natural language processor uh, inside of its uh, Gartner quadrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not even acknowledging the fact that it's artificial intelligence. It's just yeah. a natural language processor. But you're right. Every tool, uh, every technology and platform out there, it has something like this already embedded into it. Otherwise, why would you be buying it? You can build everything in, you know internally. So there, there are benefits, absolutely. Yeah, it's just crazy how fast it's moving. And and it, it, what's crazy to me too is that we're in technology, like we're doing this every day. And and I'm like, wow, this is surprising me at how fast this is evolving. And and just for the normal person out there that's not embedded in and just this is not what they do for their career, I could imagine like how fast it's going to come at them. Oh yeah, I I I work with a, a local university, uh, University of Texas in San Antonio, UTSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of their graduate program for data analytics and sciences. Uh, I sat through a presentation of a team and these kids used AI to replicate uh, a GPS platform. And I thought, well, AI is so powerful. Why would you do it that way? Why would you bring AI to GPS? GPS is it's pretty spot on. I kind of know where traffic patterns are now. I, I think of, you know, routes that I can take. And, and when the students actually dove into the, the platform, it was just, it turned GPS upside down. They were able to say, hmm. we can actually, with AI, understand condensation on pipes. We can see where plants are growing versus not growing based on how the sun wow. is focusing on a building. So, yes, you start with an image of a city or a block in, in a building, but the AI tells you, here's your energy sources. Here's how you're using fuel. Here's where the sun is coming out. Here's where you have to spend more money on facilities and maintenance be just based on the AI that's applied on top of that. So I thought it was just a phenomenal wow. way to look at it. But when they turned the screen on, it looked like a GPS uh, typical screen until they dove into it. And then I was just like, wow. So, you know, the power of AI is there. Yeah, that's crazy. They're pulling the intelligence out of the uh, whatever, the image, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, and they were feeding it from everything. So think of uh, energy consumption within the city, traffic patterns along mm. the uh, the routes, uh, the, the, the climate, uh, the weather patterns. They're looking at, uh, mm. you know, road conditions, their people that are there. All of that fed into it for them to be able to make these types of forecasts. So it wasn't mm. just a satellite image. It was okay. everything that's interacting with that image, whether it's all the IoT. Exactly, exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful because it's like, there's so much data out there that's, you know, somewhat accessible, you know, to certain, with certain systems and stuff that, that the, the AI can digest it and make sense of it or, you know, our limited capacity and processing power <laughs> might take a little bit longer. Slightly longer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Eddie, how, how can organizations effectively train and upskill their workforce to meet the demands of cloud adoption and new technologies like AI? So one of the things that we're doing at our company, and and I'll credit our CIO here, she's come in with this phenomenal approach, which is uh, a cloud smart strategy. So some companies may take a cloud first approach, a cloud effective approach, uh, a cloud transition. Uh, we're using what she's calling and coining cloud smart. Now, now what does that mean? Cloud smart. Um, 
is are you ready for the cloud first of all? Is your products in your environment, are they uh, already digitally transformed that they can actually migrate over there? Because the reality is a, a movement to the cloud and, and, you know, for the most simplest way of describing the cloud is just somebody else's computer. In order to move over there, what's the benefit that you're gaining from it? Are you looking to reduce cost? Are you looking to scale operations? Are you looking to manage your technology lifecycle uh, program? Uh, are you looking to, you know, have an impact on uh, technology debt? You have to know why you're going to the cloud before you make the decision. So this cloud smart strategy is understanding what's the goal. Uh, if your goal is as a bank to open up additional branches, uh, to grow your you know consumer base, if you're a, a health industry and you want a larger patient uh, uh, you know, repository, all of these things help you make a decision whether or not you want to go to the cloud or not. And then the decision is if the goal is to be able to maximize efficiency, well, then that changes your, your cloud smart strategy. Maybe it's just you know, introducing containers so that way you can uh, minimize the overhead of uh, of the management of assets. Maybe it's you need twenty. You need, maybe you have to hit the five nines, which is so difficult for a lot of companies to hit. My availability, I always have to be on. So maybe the cloud transformation for your company is understanding that. So I, I really like this approach around cloud smart because it forces you to understand. What do you expect by going to the cloud and can I deliver to that? And then, of course, inside of that, some of these cloud partners offer AI technology, machine learning technology, offer uh, repetitiveness. Uh, we give you bots. Some of these, mm -hmm. you know, these uh, public offerings, they give you the chance to automate repetitive steps. So even by going to the cloud, if your only goal is just to eliminate 40 minutes to execute a task, how often do you do that task every year? Right. That in itself could be a decision to help go to the cloud. So I think there's a, a, a good variety of options to evaluate uh, that help you make cloud smart decisions. But you shouldn't go to the cloud just because everybody's going to the cloud. You should go to the cloud because your company wants to go and it's going to be beneficial. It has to be beneficial. Yeah. So, you you know, you kind of answered some of the my questions of or part of this next question that I have. But. But, you know, besides what you already talked about or, you know, even incorporating what you've already kind of hit on, you know, what factors do you think the decision makers should consider when evaluating whether their organization is ready for cloud adoption? Yeah, great question. And, and one that we've had over and over again, but by design. So it's not typically done at the organization or, or even at the enterprise level. Sometimes it's based on the service that you're offering. Do you want to move your call center to the cloud? Do you want to move your data warehouse to the cloud? Do you want to move your customer facing platforms to the cloud? So again, not enterprise, but can be very strategic. So the things that we typically evaluate is number one, what's our business intent? Again, if it's availability, yeah. well, what do we require to have available at the five nines or four nines? And then we can make an evaluation. What's our cost to get there? Because everything really comes down to a cost. I think, you know, a, a, you know, a, probably not, you know, a popular uh, acknowledgement, but absolutely a popular belief is every company is, is here for revenue to some degree, right? You have to be making money. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of being in, in, in business? Uh, and so what's the biggest impact to your revenue? Does that qualify for the cloud? If going to the cloud helps us uh, enhance the revenue uh, and, and maximize that, 
uh, then let's evaluate it. If it doesn't, it, you know, then why are we having that discussion? Uh, you know, it's, it's very expensive to go to the cloud inappropriately. And you have to be deliberate when you go to the cloud. You can't just mm-hmm. tiptoe into it and, and do some R and D efforts. What, what are we doing here? What's the whole purpose of us going to the cloud? The cost can just be amplified if you don't have that plan. Uh, just like, like us talking here, Javier, just we had a plan. You had a script. What, what do you want to talk about? Let's figure out where we're going to go in this conversation before we actually start talking. Yeah, that is yeah. plan number one with, you know, cloud transformation is just understanding you may not know what the output or the end state is going to be, but you have to have a plan. Why, why are we guidelines? Doing this in the yeah. First place? yeah. Reason behind it. Yeah. Overall exactly. framework that you want to kind of potentially follow or else it can get messy real quick exactly. and expensive. <laughs> one of the things I, I looked at at a company that did go to the cloud uh, and I was doing some consulting work with them. It made every sense to go to the cloud. It was going to maximize revenue. It was going to uh, help them uh, with their technology debt. The one thing that wasn't accounted for was the skill set. They didn't realize Mm -hmm. that the cloud provider that they were choosing, um, it required a very unique skill set that wasn't prevalent across the industry. So great uh, decisions there. It's going to be optimized. But then all of a sudden, you have to staff a team of 20 to 50 people to manage that. And now all of a sudden, the the efficiencies that you're gaining now have to be supported by an influx of, 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 of financing to get to that point. And so that's where, again, you have to understand the total cost of ownership uh, and, yeah. and the total cost of investment to make that decision. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point because we, you know, a lot of our clients, you know, um, they talk to us about this stuff and they say, look, you know, we're looking at going to these technologies that help us understand what is it going to cost us and how, how readily available are these people? Right. And, and it's not something that we charge for. We do it for them for free. You know, they're our clients. And so we just give them insight into the market because we have a gauge on this. And that, that is a, a very important thing to do because a lot of these companies, I won't name any names, but a lot of these companies out there, you know, their, their incentive is to sell you their products and they want to sell you as many of their products in a large scale as possible because that lines their pockets, but they're not necessarily going to tell you, you know, how hard it is to find these professionals and how in demand they are and how much they cost. Right. And, and so that is, that is a huge headache potentially brewing, waiting to happen. If, if you don't understand those, those, uh, conditions, market conditions, I say, I think you could call it right. Uh, because exactly like you said, like, I mean, you could think you're saving money and creating efficiencies and then you're beating your head against the wall, just trying to find the people that can operate and, and, you know, upgrade and evolve the technologies for uh, sure. Here. If you, if you think about, uh, going back to that AI conversation, mm-hmm. there's a skill set needed to take advantage of AI. Uh, and so oh, yeah. it's really easy to purchase a product and the third item on the SKU is AI. Great, perfect. You you bought it. What do you do with it? How do you interact with it? How do you train it and mold it to be able to maximize its output? So just the the, the purchase of AI doesn't necessarily mean you're going to take advantage of the output of AI or even mm-hmm. be able to contribute to the AI. You, you need that skill set there. So that my, my word of caution would be uh, is, you know, understanding what you're buying, uh, because uh, I was talking to one of our project managers uh, the other day and, and AI was the, the topic. And, and I said, kind of like buying a car. 
when you watch a commercial, they never roll out there the bottom baseline car. You look at that car oh, yeah. in the commercial and uh, whatever ad you're watching, and it's it's uh, it's winning a race, uh, it's turning a corner, <laughs> it's climbing a mountain. Uh, some of them are hovering, uh, but the, the the reality is, you want all those features. You got to pay for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, everything comes with extra. So when you finally go to the dealership and you see the model, they're like, "Oh, you, you want the windows to go up and down? That's actually a feature, <laughs> right?" You know, so to get to the yeah. AI part, you have to spend, you have to invest, and you have to have uh, the resources available to take advantage of that, you know, I, I, it's just something that you have to be aware of. Yeah. Your data definitely needs to be nice and clean for the AI to be able to digest it and make sense yes. of it for sure. And, and you know, some data governance policies, all that good stuff. So oh, yes. clean up the house before you, you know, <laughs> try to spin up the hot rod, so to speak. Exactly. So Eddie, in your experience, you know, what are the most critical soft skills for professionals working in technology and security and, and how can, how can they develop these skills or maybe improve these skills? Yeah, I'll tell you that my personal experience here, right. And I've been in the industry for, you know, a significant amount of time, uh, back in the nineties, if you were in technology, you were looked at with, you know, a, by, with a certain lens. You know, you, you, you looked mysterious, uh, technical, kind of like, uh, the person that was going to solve world peace, right? That's kind of how they looked at technologies back in the day. And with that, over time, it built some, you know, a, a level of arrogance. And, you know, I can acknowledge that it was not only in existence in, in the industry, but probably myself for some time. It's just understanding. I, I actually know this that somebody else doesn't know. And, and so I think. Over the years, it built kind of a shield around these technologies where they feel that they know a lot more. We feel like we have that ultimate power to make the decision. And, and I think what is lost in that process is, are the soft skills. It's the ability to sit with the business and be empathetic, uh, assume innocence, uh, and really truly try to deliver what they're asking for as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, having thoughts or comments after the meeting about some of the questions that they ask, right? I think that's just something that a lot of technologists really have to embrace is the soft skills. Uh, you know, uh, I tell, you know, all my teams, you can be the smartest person in the room, but you can't, if you can't deliver the message, you, it's going to go nowhere, right? And so you have to be able to have that interaction. You have to be able to interact and you have to be able to replay what was discussed. And, and that's, I think, the, the last part of those skills is, did I, let me, let me make sure I understood correctly. Let me tell you what I heard versus what you said. And if there's a disconnect, now's a perfect time to correct that uh, because you may be talking uh, a great conversation bi-directional and both people walk away with completely different aspects of that conversation. Uh, and so it's having a common understanding that not only was the message uh, you know, delivered, but it was received. I, I yeah. heard you and, and therefore I, I need to replay this. So I, I talked to our, our leadership team about honing those soft skills. Make sure that you know what they're asking. Uh, simple things can be, you know, uh, uh, you know, misconstrued. They can be yeah. assumed based off of, you know, what we know versus what they know. And, and that's really, I think the complexity is there. Uh, so yeah, I, there's a lot there to dive into, but as managers, it's oh, yeah. really our goal to be able to say, listen, you have to be able to have these soft skills to be able to deliver as expected. No one, 
wants uh, somebody that just doesn't know how to listen. I think that's a, a really key aspect of this. Yeah. I mean, I could do a whole year's worth of episodes on just what you said in that one question, <laughs> that one answer. Uh, but it, it makes me think about, um, you know, my evolution as a person, right? Like I, I grew up, you know, you know, dropped out of school, all of that stuff and just had to clean up my own life. And through that process, I had to come become very self-aware and, and go through transformational programs and all that stuff. So I, I, I saw the importance of that. And I also saw the evolution of technology and, you know, over a decade ago saw the importance of culture. Right. And that's part of, part of, you know, the, my, my passion behind creating tech human, but my son, you know, I, I had my son go through as a, at a very young age, teaching him to overcome his fear. Right. And he was afraid of the water at night, jumped in the river at night. He was afraid of football. He played football. He was afraid of theater. He went to theater when it was in varsity theater in his uh, freshman year. Uh, he's afraid of choir. He went, did, he did choir. So he did all of this stuff. He's gone through some of these transformational programs that I've been through, just went through because he just turned 18 and he's like solid from an, you know, an emotional intelligence and just all of these soft skills, right. Of communicating. I've gone and sat down with counselors with him and just practice communication skills of just how he can open up to me and I can open up to him. And, um, and, you know, a really smart guy, Ray Dalio, he wrote a book called principles. Um, and he's, he's uh, owns uh Bridgewater investments or he's like one of the largest head fund managers in the world. He, and I believe this hundred percent, he says that the most important language of the future is going to be understanding how to communicate with robots, with AI, but without that soft skill, right? And I think Jack Moss said this in, the, in 2018, um, is that, you know, we have to change the education system to teach more of these soft skills because the machines are going to be able to do so many things better and faster but they cannot be taught these soft skills. They, they cannot have the emotional intelligence, the empathy and all of that stuff. And so really these skills are going to set people apart in the future and make them more and more marketable. And, and I've been seeing this evolution of, you know, our clients asking for people with this. And, and um, so it's very interesting to see how this is all playing out. I, I love yeah. that, that answer. Yeah, one of the things that when we interview candidates to come, you know, work at our company, uh, and it's not just, you know, uh, a philosophy, but it's it's really something that we feel is one of our core values. It's, you know, it's how ethical are they? You know, what's their mm -hmm. uh, ability to interact with the team? How how will they actually work with their constituents? You have to evaluate the person's uh, mm -hmm. attributes and their personas because you don't want to bring in a technical expert that causes, you know, unwanted disruptions or, uh, you know, has a, a, a personality that may be contradictory to what your, your goals are. If everybody's, uh, thinking, uh, with a same, uh, mentality around the people aspect, uh, you, you're going to go a lot farther. There's a, oh, yeah. what is it? The, a book, uh, boys in the boat where the, it's the rowing team, uh, out of Seattle. Right. And, and they talk about being able to row in unison, uh, and you don't have to be the strongest, you don't have to uh, be the person that's been doing this sport forever to be successful, right? And this team did great and wondrous things because they understood what the goal of each other was to get to where they wanted to go, right? And so you have this motley crew of of, of kids that are doing these amazing things, uh, and it's because they all came in with a, a very similar philosophy. Now, that doesn't mean 
don't be innovative and think out of the box and, and, mm-hmm. and challenge the status quo. That's not what I'm saying. What, I, what I'm saying is if your drive to be successful is dependent on a team, you have to acknowledge that the team exists and you have to be able to understand if they're looking to get to the end state and you, I'm looking to get the end state, how do we both get there successfully as opposed to let me get there and you figure out your own way. Right. I think that's <laughs> a big, big thing. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 one of the things that I say is that humans are inherently selfish, right? At some, in some mm-hmm. degree, but ultimately, you know, we can only do so much by ourselves, right? We have yeah. our strengths, we have our weaknesses, we have our skills, we have our abilities. Somebody else is better at something than we are. And if we can learn to leverage that power of that team, right? The team comes together and that's when you amplify and synergize and, and you you know, two people are able to get done with three or four people can get done. Right. And then you add on our AI or automation or something like that onto that team that's well aligned with the business strategy moving forward. Right. And then, then how much can you get done? Right. Um, and it's a great, that's a great lead into, you know, another question is really how can, how can technology be leveraged to enhance employee well-being and productivity maybe at the same time, but, you know, and, and kind of minimize the, the potential negative impact of, burnout or digital overload, so to speak. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, at Frostbank, you know, we, we're over 155 years old. So if you think about traditional processes, we mm-hmm. have them, right? You know, there's things that we've just done because we've done them that way and, and we know how to do them. Uh, and so you have to understand why we do them. You have to understand what's the value that we're getting out of it. But we also have to understand where can we introduce efficiencies? And, and maybe I'll use the use case around bots. Mm-hmm. Uh, robotic uh, and, and process automation, it's a concept, right? If I was to start out going to my board and saying, hey, we're going to use bots to transform uh, our daily processes. Uh, you know, as soon as I said the word bots, I would have just lost the entire board, right? They were <laughs> like, oh no, this is here comes the, the, this person. Uh, but if I was to say over the year, it takes us, 70,000 hours to execute loans. And I think we can minimize the amount of personnel time involved in that to get it down to about three hours of work, 70,000 to three hours, which will allow our employees Mm. to interact more with our customers, better the experience and bring a, a more insightful conversation well, then that's a different conversation you're having now. It's not about bots. It's not about outsourcing. It's about efficiencies. Uh, and so even though the second part of, of what I was talking about had everything to do with bots, none of that language of bots came to that conversation at the executive level, right? And so I will look at that as something that is transformational. Find out what steps your employees just don't like doing. If you have to open the same email every day, 50 times a day, and you log into the same database 50 times a day, and you grab the same information on that email and input into that database, that's a good candidate to bring technology and automation into the equation. Because if that employee is tired of doing it, what happens is you start to build uh, a little bit of uh nepotism into that process. You start to build an assumption that you can just do it anytime. It's just second nature. And that's where errors happen. That's when all of a sudden, when you're complacent and you just have this redundant task that you can mess up something so simple as data entry, those are areas that would benefit completely from automation and technology. But you have to be willing to understand that. So when you introduce 
you know, machine learning bots and AI into that conversation, it's always nice to understand what the business is doing. What are you solving for? Tell me what you don't like doing and let's bring technology to help solve for that. Because when we do that, then you're going to say, but what else can it do for me? Now that it's here doing this and it's eliminated uh, what I have to do that I've been doing for the last 20 years, and now I get to do something a little bit different, what else can I do? So nowhere in that equation was reduction in headcount, elimination of jobs and roles. It was about maximizing the efficiency of your employees and removing uh, the, the tedious steps and the tasks that no employee really enjoys doing, it just becomes yeah. second nature, right? So you eliminate risk, you start to solve for the manual processes, but then you're also slowly introducing technology. I love that. And and it makes me think, you know, when you're talking about that, I was kind of envisioning, uh, you know, one of the things that we like to, to talk about or we're, we're working on, you know, constantly is, kind of the 80 20 principle is every every one of our team members at minimum spending 80 percent of their time on things they enjoy doing right if they don't enjoy it then we're trying to outsource it we're trying to automate it right because if you're doing things that become so repetitive and redundant and they're draining your energy what effect is that having on your team and then trickling through your entire organization but if you're allowing people to kind of streamline those maybe redundant or draining processes so they can have more human connection. Well, how is that amplifying the good within the team, the attitudes within your team members? How is that translating into your end user? How is that translating into your bottom line? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love that, that you got into that because that's, that's what I see is the big opportunity here with all of this evolution. It's just making sure that we're harnessing the power of it and aligning things for the right reasons, so to speak, to take yeah. advantage of the situation. So another question here is, you know, how do you, how do you handle failure and setbacks? You know, we're, nobody's perfect. We're all going to have failure in some way, shape or form or some sort of a, sh a setback, but you know, how do you handle failure and setbacks when it comes to like implementing maybe new technologies or, or, uh, some sort of initiatives that are, uh, you know, that are under work? If you if you look at the whole SpaceX program that Elon mm -hmm. Musk is doing right now, um, the expectation was that failure was going to happen, uh, but that you would use some type of lessons learned and analyze all the deficiencies that caused that failure. Mm -hmm. And so the way you know that they, that team was looking at what was successful versus what was a failure uh, was pretty night and day. You know even the failures were considered success because you get an opportunity to learn from them, mm -hmm. right? And so that's night and day from what the industry has taught us, which is, uh, you know, be fast, be efficient, and be right. Uh, sometimes you have to understand that failure is a part of the process uh, and that it's okay to understand that a lot of insecurity and cybersecurity specifically, it is about failure. It is about understanding that by design, a product is supposed to deliver A. In contrast, hackers are supposed to get to B. Uh, and the only way you can find B is through, you know, testing uh, and through ensuring that you can fail the component so that way you get it there before the bad guy does, the bad mm -hmm. person, right? You want to be able to have that uh, flexibility within your organization uh, to be able to learn from that. And so I'm a big fan of lessons learned, root cause analysis, mm -hmm. not for the... Uh, to, to, you know, 
beat up somebody or, or to harp on the negative or, or even to uh, shine a, a light of inept uh, and, and uh, dysfunctionality. But it's more, let's learn from this, you know, because yeah. your project is the first of 15 more to follow it. We, you know, and we're going to be doing this every day for the next three years. And so you have to be able to fail and learn. Otherwise, you, you're, you're going to repeat some of those those mistakes. Oh yeah. What is it? The smart man learns his mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So that's huge. Definitely love that, that quote. So Eddie, in your opinion, what technology does the world need that does not exist yet? Oh, wow. So uh, it's, it's funny when I was at this graduation dinner for our grad program at UTSA here locally, um, you're, you're looking at this uh, uh, sea of students and, and you're looking at the their thesis, their papers that they're, they're writing. Uh, you're looking at the concepts that, that are in front of them and things like, you know, uh, uh, that none of us, no one can even think about years past are, are now starting to surface. Uh, that is huge, right? The fact that, you know, quantum computing is coming. How, what's, how disruptive will that be to encryption, uh, to, uh, protection and, and uh, security mechanisms? You look at artificial intelligence and the ability to make a decision before the decision is being presented to you, right? So if you had to choose from A, B, and C, and AI eliminated D, E, and F, and you didn't, even, you weren't even aware that D, E, and F were existence, you know that's pretty. It's pretty scary. And so yeah, I think you know something that needs to be here is really a, a framework on how to interact uh, with AI that I don't think is just there yet. I think there needs to be some, you know, guardrails, uh, how far left, how far right do you go? How deep uh, do you need to get into this before you're introducing your own bias into an algorithm? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, a framework around AI would be absolutely necessary. And then of course, an understanding of what quantum computing is going to do to the industry is going to be key. Uh, it'll, it, I remember uh, back when Y2K was a thing mm-hmm. and everybody was nervous about that, the introduction of the extra digits in, in, in uh, uh, the year. That was a global phenomenon. If you think about that now, if, if you were to try to describe Y2K to a, a graduating class, they're like, well, why were you guys nervous about that? But think about what every company did. They brought in consulting firms. They brought in, yeah. and they did stress tests and they did projections. What would happen if we don't recognize four digits instead of two, right? That, that was huge. Uh, and so I think quantum computing has the ability to be that disruptive and then some because quantum computing is going to force you to rethink how do your controls work in a world where the design of a control is now deemed ineffective within minutes by quantum computing, right? That's just, it's, yeah. it's astounding to think that's a, a challenge that's in front of us. I think I'll be retired by then. It makes my brain hurt by the, <laughs> just thinking about it. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Like, I'm still like, wow, like AI is moving so fast. Like, you know, mm-hmm. quantum is just, yeah, it, it's just a whole nother level. So to our listeners, uh, Frost Bank is hiring uh, Eddie, you know, why is Frost Bank a good place to work? You know, what was shocking to me when I first came here, uh, everybody has a book of ethics and values that a company typically embraces. Uh, and when I came to Frost, one of the pitches that they gave me was we're all about, you know, the experience, the customer service. We do what's right for others. And and you constantly hear doing right is doing something even when no one's looking, right? And, mm-hmm. and not doing it for 
acknowledgement, but just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, this year, uh, we won the JD Powers Award for customer nice. service 14 years in a row. This is our 14th year winning that. And, and when you think about customer service and when you think about people are happy with their experience, you typically don't equate that to a bank, to a financial institution. There are certain phone numbers you dread calling and saying, I got to call this place. And, and typically banks are not at the top of that list, uh, but Frost is. Uh, and so it's nice. one of those things where I think we treat our customers the way we treat our employees, the way we treat our investors and the way we treat our, our, our you know, our, just our ecosystem, which is, uh, you know, assume innocence and, and do what's right just because you're supposed to and good things will come. So it's a great uh, environment to work in. Uh, it's a great philosophy to live by. Uh, and it's just really great to be associated to that. And the fact that, you know, JD Powers can acknowledge that independently uh, shows that we, we are doing things right here. So I, 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 I've enjoyed my time. I'm continuing to enjoy my time and I'll continue to enjoy it for some time as well. Nice. Nice. So what type of projects are, are you guys working on right now? You know, we're doing everything that everybody else is doing, digital transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, we are scaling our environment, the cloud smart, evaluating AI. Uh, we're truly uh, groundbreaking when it comes to our cyber teams and, and, nice. and what we're doing around protection mechanisms. If you think about why people hack and, and, and you know, where where they're doing that, where that focus is at, we're a bank, you know, we're over 50 billion in assets, you know, we are a target, you know, and so you have to hire the right people, the smartest people that are going to protect that money. Uh, and so we're doing a lot of things uh, because we have to protect our customers and our invest uh, and our investors. And so uh, all those projects that you think are going on in the tech industry and in the software industry, you know, we are doing everything very similar, right? We have every project that you can think of uh, that's going to help protect our company and our customers. Nice, nice. Eddie, you know, thanks again for joining us today and sharing your insights. Listeners, be sure to check out his work and follow him on social media. Website links and social handles will be in the show description. In today's Tech Human Experience episode, we had an engaging conversation with Eddie Contreras about cloud adoption, AI exploration, and simplifying technology for decision makers. Eddie shared valuable insights on developing a cloud smart strategy and fostering innovation while maintaining a human centric approach. This information is only as good as the action taken by leveraging it. So to the audience, everyone listening, reflect, consider how a human centric approach can be incorporated into your own work or industry. How can empathy, emotional intelligence, and effective communication can contribute to improved outcomes? And last but not least, don't forget to help your fellow tech humans. Share this podcast and follow me on LinkedIn at Javier Guerra 360. See you next time on the Tech Human Experience. The Tech Human Experience. 